The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Today our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, looking at verses 8 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 15. I invite you to stand as I read the Word of God. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased by your burden, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray. Lord, cause us to see the impact of the gospel as it relates to our generosity. And move us, Lord, to be a generous people as you have made us and called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm really pursuing a few questions today. Why are true Christ followers generous? Why are true Christ followers more loving? The answer lies in the fact that their hearts have been changed. So as a result of the change of heart, there's a change of action. So the impetus to give or be generous and to love, which are inseparable, they're connected, they find their source in the gospel. So I've stated the main idea this way. Generosity flows from genuine love based on understanding and experiencing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the main idea is the main point. It is the point of the text. The generosity flows from genuine love based on understanding and experiencing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So Paul's not saying... I'm telling you to give, I'm making you give, I'm commanding you to give. If you are giving simply because you've been told to, because you're obligated to, here's what will happen. As soon as you feel the permission to get out from under it, you'll stop. This is old as childhood, right? When your parents made you do something, as soon as you got out from underneath where you didn't have to do it anymore, either out of their sight or you got old enough, you stopped. What's got to happen in our lives is our desire has to be changed. There has to be a desire to do something. So 
The Bible does not teach that generosity is a matter of duty. Generosity flows from genuine love. I want to be careful here. We see this from the beginning. The Bible is also not teaching that generosity is simply a feeling. He says, prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. So the real test of this genuineness is the inward affection that's in our hearts and minds that leads to a course of action. So you might judge yourselves as being truly compassionate. But brothers and sisters, your actions prove whether you actually are. How then should we practice generosity? Or as many call it from this text, grace giving. It comes from a heart that has been changed by the grace of God that results in love that is genuine. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You know, he's speaking a reality that is true of every follower of Christ, for every true believer. You is plural. You know. And the word know has more than to do with knowledge, though it includes knowledge. So you, you understand based off this knowledge and you experience, that's what knowing means in scripture. It's actually translated into your daily life. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that which is undeserved and unearned, a love that Christ has bestowed on his people. He didn't give it to us because of anything that is true of us. It is given to us because of what is true of him. Then this rich theological statement. You, you could single verse 9 out and preach it on its own. But it's in the context here of what he's teaching about generosity. And we need to understand it here. He says, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Now don't answer out loud because you might be wrong. Did Jesus ever cease to be rich? Let me ask it this way. Did Jesus ever cease to be God? No. The Bible doesn't say he ceased to be rich. It says even though he was rich, this great paradox happened. For your sake, he became poor. For all of eternity, brothers and sisters, we will be reminded of the poverty of Christ. You say, how's that? Because Revelation teaches that the nail scars of his hands, his feet, and his side will be ever visible to his people. We will never forget what Christ has done. Never. It will ever lead to gratitude from us that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Then he says, why? So that... By his poverty, that you by his poverty might become rich. Now turn back a couple of pages to chapter 5, verse 21. You have this other grand theological statement about Christ. He says, For our sake 
He made him to be sin who knew no sin. So here we're not talking about rich and poor, but it's the same principle. Christ never sinned. But he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Christ, who is God, fully in his riches, becomes man, fully God and fully man, the incarnation. He lives a sinless life. Then he is ridiculed, persecuted, and killed on the cross. But more than that, on the cross, Christ took our sin. He became sin for us that a great exchange might happen. That those who are truly poor, that's us, in the poverty of our sin, might receive the riches of Christ. He paid the full price of our salvation that we might receive the full benefit of his righteousness. Now let's make sure we separate ourselves from, quote, prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. This text does not mean that God makes all Christians wealthy as it relates to money and resources. This is speaking to the absolute gift of God's rich mercies in forgiveness and in salvation, the work of his grace. So what we need to learn from verse 9 in this context is that Christ is the source and the foundation of genuine love. That he has redeemed us and because he has changed us and transformed us, his love is now flowing through us. Second, we see that he is the example of genuine love. If we want to know how to be generous, we look to Christ. Mark 10, 45 says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Christ has saved us by his grace and called us by his grace to follow him. And we are called to serve others and to give our lives for the sake of the gospel. This begs the question at this moment, have I embraced the gospel? I want to to be very careful here because this could have been me 35 years ago. I could have been sitting in an audience like this or listening online to a sermon like this and hear somebody ask me if I've embraced the gospel. In other words, are you a Christian? And I could hear this going on in my brain. The only reason that preacher wants me to say I'm a Christian is so I'll give to his church. And, and I just want you to know if that's what you're thinking right now, you'd be wrong. And if that's what you think, if you think the ser- purpose of this sermon series of preaching this is to get you to give to Parkwood, you're wrong. My first and ultimate desire is that you would embrace Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. And yes, that you would become a generous person as a result of that transforming grace. It doesn't have to be here. It is the work of God. Now, as a result of this work, Paul draws application. He holds Christ up, and now he brings application to these Corinthians in their context. Three questions. Three so what's. Is genuine love moving us from generous intentions to generous action? Verse 10. 
In this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Now, that's, that, that requires some knowledge that if you don't go back and refresh yourself, you don't know what Paul's talking about. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says, verse 1, concerning the collection for the saints, that is the saints in Jerusalem who were starving because of a famine, as I directed the church of Galatia, so also are you to do, on the first day of every week, each one is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper, so there'll be no collecting when I come. So over a period of time, planned giving. And when I arrive, I will send those who you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. He said, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 8, you said you had every intention to give to the suffering believers in Jerusalem. You said you were going to do it. I told you how to plan for it. Here's the problem. They didn't. Didn't do it. They didn't follow through. So Paul says, verse 11, so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now there's multiple things going on here in this verse. Let's just try to simply unpack it. Move from readiness and desiring to completing out of what you have. That is, Paul's moving them from generous intentions to actual generous action. So i got to ask the question, what's holding these people back? Why aren't they following through? Well, let me just take a little walk through my own wicked heart for a minute. And the reasons Jeff Long comes up with. Well, first, I don't have to come up with any reason at all because I'm lazy. You're never lazy, are you? Just me. I'm full of excuses. I can come up with 50 reasons not to give something. Sometimes I procrastinate. I'm going to get around to that. Sometimes I spend my resources on something else. You've never done that, have you? Maybe they were just confused. But there's something else here. Look at the very end of the verse. Not according to what he does not have. Now this is an insight into Corinthian culture, likely. The Corinthians city was a wealthy place. Wasn't like the Macedonians who were poor. A lot of money flowed through. And that led to some very generous benefactors. They would give lots of money and get their name on a building. Does this sound familiar? I think I agree with many commentators. What Paul is saying is this. That there were Corinthians who were saying, you know what? I've got some resources, but I can't be a real generous benefactor. I can't give a lot of money, so I'll give none. Paul says, wrong conclusion. It's not that you're waiting to have some big massive gift. You you, you give according to what you have. So he's taking away the excuses that they have placed in front of themselves and says, give according to what you have. So in the end, 
True love does not leave us just to desire or to talk about it. It results in very practical action. Turn, turn to 1 John. 1 John is John's letter on love. The love of God and our love for God and for others. And in verse 16 of chapter 3, he makes the same argument that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians 9. I mean 8 verse 9. By this we know love, that he, that is Christ, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So John is saying the same thing. Move from your good intentions to generous action. I just want to encourage the church here. If you are a member of this local church and you are struggling because of the events of COVID-19 or some other hardship in your life, that is because you have not let this church know that's true. The generosity of Parkwood over the last several months toward giving to a crisis fund to help those who are in need has exceeded the need and tremendously. I commend you in that. I commend you in your generosity and your concern for one another. But I need to apply this text in another way today. You remember about a month ago, it was almost exactly a month ago, I stood up here and told you that July was the most generous July we had had in a very long time, usually giving dips in the summer. That we had met budget, praise God. Well, guess what happened in August? <laughs> I guess you thought, well, met budget. I don't have to give this month. It went. August is the worst month of our giving in a very long time. Now, I just make you aware. That's how we do it. We'll adjust to what you give. That's what we always do. We won't spend what we don't have. I just want you to know that where we were and where we are today is very different. Second question. Is genuine love resulting in shared concern and shared generosity among us? For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. He's not saying because they don't have much, I'm putting all this on you because you have more. He says, a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. This sounds very similar to the beginning of the church, Acts chapter 2. I read in verse 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And listen very carefully to what I say next. These two texts are not to be construed to mean that we are to give ourselves as some form of communism or socialism, where we pool all our money together and then we equally distribute it. Notice, this is very significant. There are people in abundance and people in need. The fairness 
is the sharing of those in abundance with those who are in need. Or to say it a better way, that those who are well supplied at this point in time are helping those who are coming up short. In case you missed it, notice that he anticipates that those who are currently in abundance may end up being in need at some point. And those who are in need at this point may end up being the people in abundance who end up helping the other. Let me illustrate. Well, over 10 years ago, due to weather and hurricanes and other things, a people group that we were heavily connected with at the time in Honduras called the Chorti, an agrarian people who live off of their crops, because of the weather, their crops had dried up and winter was approaching. And they had no food. They were already beginning to starve. And they don't have much anyway. They're extremely poor. And we gave word to this congregation that the Chorti, as a people, were in a dire situation. And you need to know what happened in this church. Parkwood, by herself, this didn't go out to the SBC. Parkwood, by herself, gave enough money for over 25 villages to survive the winter. Not only did you give enough money to buy rice and beans, you gave more than enough that lasted into the next year to help with planting and other things. Brothers and sisters, that's what he's talking about here. That those in abundance help those that are in need. And I repeat to you, if you find yourself as a part of this church in a moment of need, humble yourself and let us know. Because God intends for this to play out in our church that we help each other. Further, we need to be prepared because of COVID that in the future, we are likely going to need to help our sister churches who find themselves in desperate need right now. Here's the real question. Are we personally, collectively as a church, are we trusting in God's supply for today and for the future? Verse 15. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. He's quoting here from Exodus 16. So I want you to turn over there and let me refresh you on what happened. Children of Israel got out in the wilderness and wilderness is wilderness. It wasn't a lot of food, a lot of people. So God provided for his people manna. Remember this? wake up in the morning and there'd be this bread-like substance on the ground and it was to feed them. Now here's what they were to do. They were to gather it enough for that day, except one day, the day before the Sabbath, they were gathered enough for two days. If they gathered more than they needed for one day, does anybody know what happened to it? It rotted. So Exodus 16, I'll pick up in verse 16. This is what the Lord commanded. Gather of it, that's the manna, each one of you, as much as he can eat. Let's repeat it again. It's based on what you need. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. Now that's because there were more people in some tents than others. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Now, God asked this question. 
Why does Paul quote Exodus 16 and why does he bring this into this situation of them being supportive of the church in Jerusalem? Here's the answer. Paul wants to make sure where he started this argument at the beginning of chapter 8 that we understand that God is the one who is the source of all human giving and receiving. All that we have is from God, but we must understand that God remains the final giver who out of His goodness and His grace creates givers who know and share His goodness with others. It is because of the absolute giver who is God that there can be any giving at all. Turn to 1 Chronicles 29. This is a very different moment. This is when the children of Israel now are about to build the temple and they have taken an extremely generous offering to accomplish it. David, speaking on behalf of the people in verse 14 of 1 Chronicles 29, and there's a lot there. I just want you to see this core verse. David, who was the most generous giver of all, it's recorded there. He says, but who am I? And then he speaks to the generosity of the people. And what is my people? That we should be able, that's crucial, thus to offer willingly. How is it that we gave enough to build the temple? How did this happen, David asks. Then he answers it. For all things come from you and of your own. In other words, it's yours, God. We have given you. It's from you. And we've given it to you. I won't bore you with a long story, and many of you have heard it, and a lot of you were here. But in 2006, we made a decision as a church a few years earlier, we would never borrow money again. And praise God, right now we don't have debt. It's one of the reasons we've had, we, we have a budget excess right now. We don't have any debt. So the question is, how's a growing church build buildings with no debt? So we looked at 1 Chronicles 29 and we came up with this idea called Exponential Sunday. And the first time we did it, Parkwood was a lot smaller in 2006 than she is today. In one day, we gave $1.25 million. And by the end of the month, it was $1.5. We paid cash for what's called the porch and we paid cash to have it completely remodeled for student ministry. Once that offering was read, I stood in front of the church and I read this verse. Now I had experienced it personally and I think many people had experienced it personally, but it was the first palpable moment as a church where together we said, who are we? Who are we that we could be this generous? The answer is, For all things come from you. And of your hand we have given. Brothers and sisters, until Jesus comes, there are still stories of generosity to be written through this local body of believers. 
to where we consciously realize that all we have is by God's grace and all that we give is by his grace. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your generosity in Christ that you would save sinners like us, that you would make us new creations with a new desire and that which is not normal, that you would make us into your image of being generous. And you do it by giving to us and we give of what you've given and this by your grace which leads to thanksgiving and it leads to joy. So God, would you grow the thanksgiving and joy in this congregation and that for your glory. Bless our giving this week. Bless the generosity of your people. Continue to provide us work and other means. It is from your hand. All of it is from you. And because it's all from you, we have given. We offer this prayer in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.